Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 9. I'll be preaching this morning through verses 24 through 41. John chapter 9, verses 24 through 41. And as you turn there, let me invite you to pray with me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that You would open our eyes that we might see marvelous things from Your law. We pray, Lord, that You would speak to our hearts by Your Spirit, that You would use the reading and the preaching of Your Word to Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the Word of the Lord now from John chapter 9, verses 24-41. through 41. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are His disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. May God bless the reading of His holy word and let His church say, Amen. This morning, if I'm going to ask you a question, that if our culture had a religious creed, what would that creed be? Certainly think there's two options in that regard. Our culture would say, on the one hand, there is no God. They don't believe in God. and That would be one creed, wouldn't it? But there's a second creed we hear in our culture so often, and I think it's equally as bad. And that is the creed that you can find your own path to God. You can find your own path to God because... The spark of divinity lives within you. It's actually a modern form of an old heresy called 
Gnosticism that the church has been fighting, oh, I don't know, for 2,000 years. And our culture tells us this, don't, doesn't it? We hear it in culture and movies and on the news and on television and in interviews with people. We hear it even preached from pulpits of those who claim to be churches that you can follow the inner spark of divinity that's in your own heart and you can follow that spark down any path and discover God for yourself. It doesn't matter which path you choose. You can be a Buddhist, a Muslim, you could be a Scientologist, you could be a, a Christian. Any path is fine because the same spark of divinity resides in each and every person and becoming religious is all about discovering that inner spark of divinity and reaching illumination in your own heart. What does Jesus teach here in this passage? Does Jesus teach that in this passage? No, He does not, does He? Jesus didn't teach that the path to God is a journey of discovering your inner divine spark. Instead, He taught just the opposite, didn't He? He taught that apart from Him, everyone is blind. We can't see God. We can't find God. And we can't love God. Nor do we have the desire to seek God or find God, or love God. We'll be lost, Jesus is saying, if we go down that path to discovering the inner spark of illumination and enlightenment in our own heart. Jesus is the only light of the world. We've seen that in this passage and previously in John, haven't we? Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Jesus is the only door through which we can enter. If we separate ourselves from Jesus or try to pursue God apart from Jesus, well, we're just taking a walk in the dark. And we're lost. And we're blind. That's what happens to us, isn't it? If we try to find God apart from Jesus. And that's what Jesus is trying to help the Pharisees understand here in this passage of Scripture. Jesus has Healed a blind man, hasn't he? And the miracles in the Gospel of John aren't just miracles, they're signs. They're more than just miracles. They're signs that point to the divinity of Jesus. They are signs that prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And here these Pharisees are grappling with that. They have this evidence of this man who has been blind from birth and Jesus heals this man of his blindness. And the Pharisees are confronted with the reality. What do they do if they admit and concede that the man has been healed of his blindness? Then they must also concede that Jesus is from God. Because only one from God can open the eyes of the blind. What happens if we try to find God apart from Jesus? Well, like the Pharisees in this passage, Apart from Jesus, we are hopelessly lost and blind. So I want you to see here in this passage, number one, that apart from Jesus, we are hopelessly lost and blind. We see that here in the Pharisees. It's a bit of the irony in this passage of Scripture here in John chapter 9. 
There's a blind man. Jesus has healed him. And those who claim they have 20-20 vision are more blind than the blind man, aren't they? They inquired into the miracle already. They brought the man before him and they've asked him all kinds of questions. They think it's some sort of charade and so they find the man's parents and receive a testimony from the man's parents. And here in verse 24, we read that they go through this whole thing yet again a second time. Bringing the man before them. Wanting to find out. We see this here rather than questioning. In verse 24, their questioning has turned into demands. Look at verse 24. Give glory to God, they say to the man. We know that this man is a sinner. What they're saying is here, they're saying here is stop the charade already. Alright? We know Jesus is a common sinner, like those horrible, terrible Samaritans that we hate, and like those Gentiles that we hate. And we've even called Jesus a man demon possessed. And so we know that Jesus is a sinner. We know there's no way that he could have opened your eyes. And so Quit the charade, quit telling lies, and own up to it and give glory to God. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples to disregard the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, disregard the Pharisees because they are blind guides, the blind leading the blind. So it's interesting here that the Pharisees are making a deep dive, a deep search, a deep inquiry into the nature of the healing of this blind man, and they are absolutely blind in this journey that they are trying to undertake. Well, what were they blind to? They begin with a blind presupposition about Jesus, don't they? Look at verse 24. What do they think about Jesus in verse 24? We know this man is a sinner. So they begin with the presupposition, the blind presupposition, despite all the evidence that's been presented to them since Jesus has come into the scene, that Jesus is not from God. That's their underlying presupposition. This Jesus is not divine. This Jesus is not from God. And because Jesus is not from God, this miracle is impossible and proves nothing. What does the man say in defense? Verse 25, man doesn't have all his Christology figured out just yet, but he's getting close. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. Saying I can't give an account to that. I'm not as astute as you esteemed Pharisees, but one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The man's on a different end. Different presupposition, isn't he? The Pharisees' presupposition is that Jesus isn't from God. But the man's presupposition is what? Only men from God can open the eyes of the blind. The Pharisees have this blinding presupposition. Their hatred blinds them to the deity of Jesus. And sign after sign, even the raising of the dead, which we'll see in chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus will not draw the Pharisees to have faith in Jesus. So they begin with the blind presupposition, and as I've already indicated, they're also blind to the evidence. Look at verse 26. They said to him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Explain it to us. Well, the man has already explained it to him again. The man has already told them. This man came and, and he made mud with spit and he rubbed it in my eyes and he sent me off to the pool of Siloam to wash and I went there and washed and I came back seeing. He's already told them this information. And so they're asking him again, what did he do to you? How was it that he opened your eyes? And so the man, he's pretty clever, isn't he? He's figuring out that no matter what he says to these Pharisees, they will not accept his answers. And so look at verse 26. Or verse 27. I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become His disciples? Are you so interested in the ministry of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus? Are you so interested in them that you want to become His disciples like these other people in Jerusalem that you despise? You hear the comedy there in this passage? You hear the irony here? You hear the sarcasm in the man's voice? And of course, they are completely offended by the man's uh, statement. What do they say in return? Well, they reviled him. Their demeanor toward the man is no longer just suspicious and disbelieving. Their demeanor toward the man is angry. When you revile someone, you're speaking to someone with anger and disrespectful words, right? There's a contention here and the contention has become heated and now an argument has ensued and now insults are beginning to hurl from one to the other. And so we read in verse 28 that they reviled the man. They reviled him. They're blind to the evidence. And in verse 28, they make an audacious claim, don't they? You're His disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Here's another aspect of their blindness. These Pharisees who claim to be experts in the law of Moses, they don't know the law of Moses as well as they think they do, do they? Jesus has already said in the Gospel of John that if you were truly disciples of Moses, if you truly believe the writings of Moses, you would believe in me. Why? Because Moses wrote about me. Jesus has already said that. Well, how did Moses write about Jesus? Well, Jesus is the perfect fulfiller of the Mosaic Law. But not only that, in Deuteronomy 18, what did Moses teach? Deuteronomy 18, Moses taught, Moses prophesied, in fact, that God would send another person to lead God's people in the truth of His law. Deuteronomy 18, Moses has already said, God's going to give you another lawgiver. He's going to send you another person like me. And he will have the words of God. And it is to him that you should absolutely listen. And these Pharisees are blind to Deuteronomy 18. They should have understood and identified Jesus as the new and greater Moses. We see that here in verse 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses. Moses went up to Sinai and received the law from God. Moses, who went into the tent of meeting and spoke to God face to face like a friend, speaks to a friend. We believe that God spoke to Moses and we have His law. But as for this Jesus, we don't know where He came from. Now here the Pharisees are contradicting themselves because if you go back and you read 
in the, in the Gospel of John, they'll say, look, we know where this Messiah comes from, and we know where this man came from, and Jesus isn't the Messiah. But here they're contradicting themselves, and they're saying, we don't know where He's come from. You notice the irony here. John is bringing that out for us. Showing and revealing to us their antipathy and hatred towards Jesus. They claim we don't know where He comes from. They're blind to the fact that Jesus has been sent from God just like God sent Moses. There's a greater Moses who's come and is revealing the will of God to His people. But not only are they blind to that, they're also blind to the expectation in the prophets, especially Isaiah, that when the Messiah comes, He will open blind eyes. This is, this is the crux of the argument, right? This is the most important aspect. This is the clearest evidence in the argument that Jesus is the Messiah. The fact that He opens blind eyes. Verse 30, look what the man says. This is an amazing thing. You don't know where He came comes from, and yet He opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Again, the man is just saying, it's obvious that He's from God. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. The man's right. Scripture is pretty much silent on miraculous healings of those who were born blind. This, is, this really is the first one. There's some other times and places in Scripture where people were struck with blindness, but there's probably not really another place that I know of in, in the Scripture where someone who was born with blindness had their blindness healed. And the man is right. The man is saying, this is something extraordinary that you should pay attention to. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 33. If this man were from God, he could do nothing. Prophet Isaiah, several places, states clearly that when the Messiah comes, when the Messianic age arrives, the eyes of the blind will be opened. Listen to Isaiah 29.18. And that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah 42, the great suffering servant passage in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. This should have been the evidence that they needed. Here is a man born blind, and Jesus has come and opened his eyes. This has to be the Messiah. And they arrive at the wrong conclusion, don't they? What do they say in verse 34? You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast Him out. Their blindness, beginning with a blind presupposition, blind to all the evidence, blind to the prophecies of Scripture, leads them to a blind conclusion. 
excommunication for the man who has confessed that Jesus is from God. How many of you have ever seen, and I don't use many many movie analogies in Scripture, but I'm going to break that rule. I'm going to use one, or a movie analogy in a sermon. And I'm going to break that rule and use a movie analogy. Have you ever seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? In Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, he's on one of his treasure hunts and he's been told that he's going to reach this cave and what does Indy have to do? He gets to this place in this cave and there's no bridge. There's no way to get from the entrance of this cave through the cave to the place where the treasure is lying. But what he has to do is he has to do what? Take a what? Blind leap of faith. You won't be able to see the bridge, Indiana Jones, but if you'll take a blind leap of faith, contrary to what your eyes are indicating to you, the bridge will be there and you'll be on to the treasure. And so there's this thinking in our culture using that language that faith in God is a blind leap of faith, the culture says. You, oh, you believe in God? You've, you know, I'm just not there like you are. I'm not ready to take a blind leap of faith. Is that what Scripture calls us to do? Does Scripture call us to a blind leap of faith? I would propose to you that while Scripture calls us to have faith, Scripture never calls us to a blind leap of faith. In fact, as Christians, we have a reasonable faith, don't we? We have a reasonable faith. What do you mean by a reasonable faith, Pastor? Here's what I mean by that. We have a faith informed by evidence, don't we? God has revealed Himself to us in nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19. Romans chapter 1 says that God's revealed Himself in creation and including His invisible attributes. God has revealed Himself in creation. We also see that God has revealed Himself in His works of providence. Caring for the church of the Old Testament. Caring for the church of the New Testament. God has revealed Himself through His wonderful works. We also have corroborating historical evidence that's been preserved for us. We know in the study of history that men like King David, King Solomon, were real men. We know that there were Israelites who were carried away into exile in Babylon and came back. All this is clearly preserved for us in the historical record. We even know that Jesus was a real historical person, don't we? You notice that's not much debated anymore as historical evidence has been uncovered. We know that Jesus was a real historical person. Not only do we have all that evidence, we also have the prophecies of Scripture indicating for us that the Messiah would come from a certain line, be born at a certain place, be born to a certain family in a certain time, and there would be certain characteristics all about the Messiah. And the Old Testament prophesied to that end. We also have the eyewitnesses of Jesus preserved for us in the writings of Scripture, don't we? Those who saw Jesus and wrote about Jesus. Not only in His life, 
but those who were eyewitnesses to his death. And not only eyewitnesses to his death, but also eyewitnesses to what? His resurrection and his ascension. All this Jesus did publicly, open for all to see as evidence that he is the Messiah. Ours is not a blind leap of faith as Christians. We don't take blind leaps of faith. We have a reasonable faith informed by evidence. It begs the question then, if it's such a reasonable faith, then why don't people have faith? Why don't more people believe? And here is what we learn from this passage in answer to that question. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. We can't have faith on our own. We can't will ourselves to have faith. We can't make ourselves have faith. God must give us the gift of faith. You can affirm that Jesus was a real historical person. You can believe that Jesus even died on the cross and not have true saving faith in Jesus. These Pharisees will come to affirm that Jesus even died on the cross. But will they have saving faith? Will they have faith that abandons all other means of salvation and clings to Christ alone? You see, apart from Jesus, we're all hopelessly lost and blind. You and I, we would be no better than the Pharisees, would we? We think to ourselves, oh, if we lived during the time of Jesus and, and saw all His miracles and heard His teachings, our faith would be so strong. Not if God doesn't give you the gift of faith. These Pharisees saw the miracles and heard the teachings and spoke with Jesus. And it was no, they were no better for it. Why? They were blind. Their eyes hadn't been opened. They had not been given the gift of faith. Well now, you're asking me, well, if that's the case, then what do we do to see? Well, you and I have to be like the blind man in this passage, don't we? Look with me at verse 35. This blind beggar man has been excommunicated from the synagogue and Jesus hears that he'd been cast out. And we read in verse 35 that Jesus, he goes and finds the man. What beauty in that word, right? The man had been cast out. Jesus heard about it and he finds the man. He goes and, and looks for the man. He goes and searches for this blind man. This man who was blind, he had already healed. And Jesus goes and finds him. And the man received two miracles that day, didn't he? Not only did he receive the opening of his physical eyes, but he also received the opening of what? His spiritual eyes. Look at Jesus' words to him there in verse 35. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you, do you have faith? Do you have faith? Do you, do you believe? And he answered, I love this, verse 36, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Let me ask you a question. Has this man seen Jesus yet? No. No. In his interaction with Jesus, his first interaction with Jesus, he was blind. Jesus rubbed mud in his eyes and sent him off to the pool and he came back seeing 
And so Jesus asked him, do you have faith in the Son of Man? And the man says, I don't know who he is. I don't know what he looks like. What does Jesus say to him? Jesus opens his eyes in verse 37. Look at verse 37. You have seen him. Now he's really seeing, right? His physical eyes have been opened, but now his spiritual eyes are being opened, Jesus says. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. There's the true miracle. It was great. Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man. That was wonderful. But you know what? It was only a miracle. It wasn't really that big of a deal, was it? And you say, oh, come on now. Yeah. The greatest miracle that occurred for this man was not the opening of his eyes that would become dim again one day. The greatest miracle that that man received was the opening of his spiritual eyes and having faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus finds us, He opens our eyes, doesn't He? One of the favorite things of the session of this church, you can ask any ruling elder here at New Covenant, what is one of the favorite things that you get to do for serving on this session. I can tell you what they would include in their top five, probably. Maybe in their top three. Maybe their number one. And they're all looking at me right now saying, what is he getting ready to say? It is hearing the testimonies of people who come for their membership interview. You see, every person who's a member of this church has to come and meet with the session and give their testimony. And some of you are nodding your head right now saying, yes, I remember that. I had to do that too. And the session has had the opportunity to hear stories and testimonies from people who were addicted, people who were washed out, people who were enslaved to shameful sins, People who were enemies of God. Some of you sitting right here in this church. Sessions also heard testimonies of testimonies of those who never knew a day apart from Christ. What a testimony that is too. And as various as the testimonies are, and as different as the, pe- as the people and the testimonies are, you know what? All their testimonies are the same. I once was lost but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Jesus found me. And He saved me. Have you ever heard anybody say, I found Jesus? It's an interesting statement, isn't it? It's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? I found Jesus. I found religion. Did you really find Jesus? Were you searching for Jesus or was Jesus searching for you? John 9 would indicate that your eyes were blind. You were walking around unable to find your way and Jesus found you and opened your eyes. And if you're saved this morning, you know this to be true. And it ought to lead you and me to greater worship, just like this man, to fall on our knees and worship Jesus. Why? Because He found us. And He opened our eyes. We were lost. 
He found us. We were blind. He healed us. We were orphans, and through Him we've been adopted. We were dead, and the Spirit gave us new life. We were enemies of God, and He made us His friend. We deserve no credit, and He deserves all the worship and adoration and glory. Salvation is by grace through faith alone to the glory of God alone. You see, apart from Jesus, we're hopelessly lost and blind. But when Jesus finds us, He opens our eyes so that we can see Him. Why is it that everyone doesn't see then? And we can understand that some people are in their sins and, I mean, you know, some terrible, dirty, rotten, scoundrel sinners. And we understand why those people are blind. But what about other decent human beings? Why don't they see Jesus? Why aren't their eyes opened? Why don't they have faith? Here's where I think we arrive at the most challenging portion of this text. Jesus, He heals the blind, but He blinds the seeing. Doesn't He? You see that here in this passage of Scripture? Look at verse 35. We already get a hint of that in verse 35 when he talks to the man. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? What does that mean? What's the, where does that title come from? It comes from Daniel chapter 7. The Ancient of Days has appeared and He judges all the nations. And next to the Ancient of Days, one like the Son of Man appears there with the Ancient of Days and to Him is giving all rule, dominion, reign, and authority. And Jesus uses that title of Himself. And then, in verse 39, He says, For judgment I came into this world. Jesus has all sovereign authority. The Father has given to Him. He, he's got all sovereign authority to every right to open the eyes of the blind if He so chooses. And to withhold that grace from those whom He chooses. Continue reading on there in verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. That's wonderful. We love that good news, don't we? Go on reading the rest of the verse. And those who see may become blind. Isn't that interesting? Some of the Pharisees are eavesdropping on this conversation. They're, they haven't left the proximity yet. And so they ask Jesus, are we also blind? What does Jesus say to them? If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains and here we have in this passage of Scripture the, the real meaning of this whole story. We here we find the real meaning of this whole miracle of opening the eyes of this blind man. Jesus heals the blind, but He blinds the seeing. You say, well, what do you mean? Didn't Jesus come to save and to seek the lost? Yes, He did. But you see, apart from Christ, we remain in darkness. John chapter 3 teaches that the light has come into the world and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hates the light, rejects the light, flees from the light. Why? Lest our sins should be exposed. You see, when Jesus comes and He shines His light upon our hearts, we'll have 
one of two reactions, won't we? We will be like the blind man who was healed and fall on our knees and worship him. Or we'll be like the Pharisees in our pride. We'll love our sins so much that we will reject the light lest we have to confess our sins and fall down and worship our Savior. So you might be wondering, well, are you saying that some are elect and some are reprobate? Yeah. That's what this passage is teaching. There are those whom God chooses to reveal His grace and there are those whom Jesus withholds that grace. And so, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, now I'm, I, now I'm all turned around inside, Pastor. I mean, I thought you were here to give me some hope. I thought you were here to give me some encouragement. Maybe I'm reprobate. How would I know? I talked to Travis about that this week. Gotta love the, lo- the logic of Travis. Travis just says, you know, Pastor, I suppose if they're asking that question, they probably aren't reprobate, are they? If you're concerned about that, you probably aren't. It's a good point, isn't it? If you have concern about pleasing the Lord, you know that desire didn't come from you. If you have concern whether or not you see the Lord, you know that desire doesn't come from you. That's a work from God's grace. An old theologian, Francis Turretin, wrote, God wills no one in this life to be assured of His reprobation. Not interesting. We're called in the epistle, uh, Peter's epistle to make every effort to make our calling and what? Election sure. Turretin says, no place in Scripture are we called to make our reprobation sure. In fact, he writes, but God can call to Himself at the last hour even the most abandoned sinners. Isn't that good news? Isn't that God's grace? That at the appointed time, you and I, dead in our trespasses and sins, enemies of God, blind, spiritually dead and sick, and blind and lost. When Jesus finds us, He opens our eyes. And it gives us great hope. For those who continue on in that blindness, it gives us great hope to know that when Jesus comes knocking on their door, they will be made willing and able to open it. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, who is worthy for such things, oh, the depth of Your wisdom and grace and mercy and power and might Lord, we pray that this teaching this morning would give us great hope and encouragement because You are so merciful and gracious and kind. We pray that You would renew faith in our hearts, enabling us to persevere as we serve You. And we do pray this morning that You would open the eyes of the blind. Open the eyes of those who are enemies against You. Even this morning, who might be sitting here listening to this sermon, we pray, Lord, that You would open the eyes of their heart that they might see You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.